Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome. Thank you very much, Howard. You know what that means. The voice of Howard Finkel can mean but one thing in 2014. It's time for another episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. My name is Sam Roberts. This is my wrestling podcast. So much to talk about. Of course, you can find out everything there is to find out about me. If you don't know, at NotSam.com. You can hear me on SiriusXM every day, but uh, here... All we do is talk wrestling. Uh, I'm going to talk about what happened on Raw this week. I want to talk a lot about the WWE Network. I thank you all for being here. And I know most podcasts, they do a whole long intro. And then they get to the interview. It's like, all right, you got to sit through me. And then I'll give you what you came for. But with me, I don't care if you listen to the whole thing. I hope you do. I mean, I guess I do care somewhat. But if you don't listen to the whole podcast, that's fine. If you want to skip my all my wisdom, my wrestling knowledge, go ahead and skip it. It comes after the interview. I'll talk about Raw and Randy Orton and Bo Dallas and the WWE Network and my state of wrestling address. First, my guest this week is Chris Jericho, of course. Chris Jericho, well-known in the wrestling world, well-known in the Dancing with the Stars world, well-known in the game show hosting world, well-known in the rock and roll world. Well-known in the literary world, Chris Jericho has just released his third autobiography, uh, Best in the World at What I Don't Know. It's a great read. Anybody who's a wrestling fan who hasn't read this or any of Chris Jericho's books, you're out of your mind. Break the stereotype. Wrestling fans can read. Man, prove that by getting Chris Jericho's book and reading it. I've known Chris Jericho for a long time. He's seen me in all stages of my broadcasting career, I got a chance to sit down with Chris Jericho uh, now, at this stage, once I'm a, now that I'm officially a professional broadcaster, I got a chance to sit down with Chris Jericho, talk about the new book, and uh, everything else that's going on in his world. Without further ado, here's Howard Finkel, and then Chris Jericho. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Let's welcome back. To my extravaganza, Chris Jericho. All right, man. I'm super excited to be here. Looks like they give you a closet now. Sam. I know. You know what happened? Last time you were up here, we were in a real studio. Yeah. And I had to mention it. Like uh-huh. an asshole. Uh-huh. Like, look where I am now. They, they took care of that. Yeah. Like, good like, for well, you, Sam. We'll make sure that we destroy you. We book any Never again. At all for this you. This is a real studio. It's just a real small one. Right. Right. It was yeah. a closet at one point. Yeah. Now <laughs> Basically, yeah, right. But that's the magic of Sirius XM. Absolutely, man. I know it. I worked for him for years, too. Yeah. Well, welcome. Um... I was reading your book. I actually read it. 
Finally, <laughs> yeah, you've actually read yeah, something yeah, good. Read, I'm you. learning how to read. Yeah, through the tales of Chris. <laughs> no, I'm just Jericho. glad that you actually uh, that you actually read it because, um, and I shouldn't even say that because I know the guys would would. If, but when you do these these interviews and these these press tours, some people just read the back. Some people read the little bio sheet. Right. Some people um, actually read the book, and it's always a little bit better when someone reads the whole thing because then you get a full spectrum, and I don't have to like pick and choose the stories that I want to tell. You can actually ask me specific moments, which is right. always a little bit, you know, a little bit. Or more at least fun. like with Opie and Jim, like they know who you are. Well, sure, and, and I don't even expect them to because we've known each other for years. But, but like when you're doing a spot on a morning news dude, show, okay. So uh, we've got Chris Jericho, and you've got a book. Oh, and uh, well, so well, tell us about this book. When did you start? Uh, in the wrestling bit. And it's like, oh my God, dude, I got 10 minutes. You want to know that? Right. That's so, two books ago. Exactly. That's right. Stay, keep, keep, keep up with what's going on here, man. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just part of doing press and doing the tours. Some people are uh, longtime you know, fans or friends. Other people have never heard of you before and you just always have to adjust accordingly. Right. So do you, are there store or do you get annoyed instantly when you know you're in for one of those interviews that's like they no, just don't know no no I, I never i never get annoyed because like i said i mean you you have to expect all all things mm-hmm. you know even when you know even when you're on the street you know you you meet some people like people come up to me all the time especially in new york city this is like a jericho stronghold where i say not to be egotistical but probably one out of every 10 people thank you one out of every 10 people know who i am yeah um and so you'll get people that say, oh, Jericho, big fan, or how you doing, Jericho? How's it going, Jericho? That's a New York City thing. What's going on? How you doing? Go about your business just saying hi. Right. Love that. Then you get other people who— Yeah, they were be- saying, they were saying and, uh, Dave Grohl was up here like, yeah. a couple weeks ago, and the guy—I didn't see him, but the guys who were waiting outside the building for him just saw him. He was walking down the street. A couple people said hi to him, but that's it. He could just See, walk and, down the street here. Cause he was and I would York. be like that, too. Like, you know, I I understand that, you know, you just want to go about your business. And if I see somebody, I, I ran, into, I literally ran into, a.k.a. bumped right into Kurt Russell a couple years ago <laughs> outside of a hotel here in New York City. And, and uh, I was like, oh, sorry, man. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm thinking it's Kurt Russell. And he's like, hey, do you know where uh, 33rd Street is? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not from here. He's like, all right, man. See you later. And then I'm watching him walk down the street. And I'm like, should I go say something? Should I, like, go say, like, what do I do? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to let him go. But that's you every in- awkward interaction that you've had is somebody just sure. like, wait, I want to hold on to this moment and extend it. And, and, I, and, it I, and I get that. Believe me, I get it, too. But the, 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 those things are all cool to me because I understand. Yeah. Um, two things annoy me. And I say annoyance in the least possible way because – my biggest thing is people say, does it bother you when, when someone uh, recognizes you? And it's like, no, it should bother you if no one recognizes you. Yeah. If you can walk down the street and no one knows who you are and you're tr- some kind of a celebrity, quote unquote, you're in some trouble. because yeah. means, If you're any sort of public figure. Yes, could, then it means you are, are you? not very uh, – you're not doing a good job. So the two things that annoy me about it, one is when um, – if people just flip – like if I walk by someone and they go, oh my god, it's Chris Jericho! Oh, oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Dude, I the last couple times that's happened to me, I literally pull a Beatlemania and just run, just run away because <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. Right. Because that's like over the top, and I'm, like I said, I'm not saying this in an egotistical way, but it's it's very embarrassing and it's very uncomfortable and it's very like just calm down, man. It's okay, it's okay, just calm down. Right, just calm down. Because then uh, you get the awkward thing where it's the what, person next to her going, "My God, you see this, Chris Jericho? You watch wrestling? You you, you ever heard of Fozzie? One guy you see goes these up guys? And goes, hey, who are you? And yeah, like, and then it's like, day. oh my God, you know. And then the other one is when people go, "Listen, I don't know who you are, but my kid thinks you're somebody. Can you sign this?" And then it's like, an uh, you're. 
you're asking me to do you a favor and you're insulting me at the same time. Right. You know? Right. And then the other one that it's because people just either don't have manners or they're just nervous. Are you who I think you are? And it's like, hey, pal, this ain't a guessing game. Like, you know, I don't know. Do you think I'm your Uncle Wally? You think I'm, you know, think I'm Gordon Ramsay? You think I'm Bon Jovi? Right. You know, yeah. I got that at, at Raw a couple weeks uh-huh. ago. Some fan turned around in the front row and he goes, you're a comedian, right? And I go, no, I'm no. Yeah. And they go, no, 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 you are a comedian. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I promise you. That's, and then there's the other I'm one. Not. Are you, are you, are you, I think I am, I don't know. Are you Chris Jericho? Yes. No, you're not. Okay, I'm not. Are you? Know you are. Okay, I am. No, you're not. It's the Which least one fun is it, man? Yeah, it's like, it's just like just, I'm it. just trying to. You asked me, I answered, and uh, but you know, like I said, this just. I think sometimes people get a little nervous, mm-hmm. and I know because I mean, first time I met James Hetfield was only five years ago. But dude, I it's in my book. I started almost crying, blubbering. I didn't know what to say. I found it adorable <laughs> to tell you the truth because you've seen you've seen me fanboy out. You've seen a lot yeah, of people I mean, fanboy out, and that five years ago. When you're at like, five years ago, world champion. If and if I wasn't, I, I just lost it. Yeah, and not only are you world champion though, you're in that phase of your career where you've already kind of accomplished the thing. Like you're already in that mindset. Well, I can leave and come back. They'll have right. me whenever. You're right, kind right, right, of right. an established right. upper tier guy, and you're still like, oh my god, it's James Hetfield, right from Metallica. Yeah. In the same room. Th- thank you so much, James, for all the music, and thank you so much for your lyrics, and thank you for for helping me through so much stuff. And like, you know, and when people, that's why whenever I get that, and I, I never, I I, ne- I always take it as a compliment mm-hmm. because I know I'm the same. Like I'm still a fan at heart. When you feel that overcoming you, like you know you're about to fanboy out over somebody, mm-hmm. do you try to block it out and try to like say, you know what, I'm too big to be doing this, or do you remember? You just gotta, when I was 14, I would have thought this was fucking awesome. Yeah, and you also just gotta. You gotta um, like man up. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like okay, yes, this is great. You know, like I think Hetfield and Gretzky for me were the two worst ones. Like where I just didn't know what to say and didn't know what to do. Since then, like uh, last year, actually, Jimmy Fallon, who I'm not gonna say he's a friend of mine, but he's an acquaintance. Mm-hmm. He took me to meet Keith Richards because Keith was on the show, and Jimmy said, "Listen, if if you want to meet him." Be here you know, at 5 o'clock, Jesus. and I'll take you to meet him. And I was like, Jimmy, is this real, or is this some kind of you know Hollywood bullshit? He goes, no, I'll, I swear to God. And what's great about this is, like, this that's is Fallon. Fallon's yeah, right, the right, guy right, who right. most people would yeah. be like, oh, my God, it's Fallon. And the thing is, I, I've known Jimmy for a while. Like, even, you know, when he first started his late-night show, he's one of the first guys that really embraced WWE guys on the show. And then, you know how I am. I go on the show, and I don't talk about wrestling. I've got something to say. We have some fun. I'm right. goofing around. And became friends with him when he just five years ago, four years ago. And so kind of been there as he's made his way up the ranks. And I've done his show three or four times. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to do the Tonight Show on this tour, but then I got bumped. And it's like, For now, who? I don't know what exactly it was. They, 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 they book you, and then they have to confirm. And the time oh, came gotcha. to confirm. It's like, hey, we got, you know, Zach Galifianakis is in or available. But I, I didn't take it as an insult because, I mean, Jimmy's on a different level now. This is, this is not just the fun, local, good, you know, yeah. mom and pop Jimmy Fallon show. It's the fucking Tonight Show. So I right. get it. But um, just the fact that he said, listen, be here and I'll take you to meet Keith. And when I met Keith, like, listen, dude, I love the Stones. But, he, I mean, Keith Richards is, you know, throwing McCartney and, and maybe Elton John or, or maybe Mick. Those are the biggest rock stars ever living, yeah. you know, bigger than Elton or bigger than Axl Rose or, or Ozzy or Hetfield or whatever. 
So when, when I went in there and, and, and I was like, I, it was really cool because I got introduced to him through a mutual friend and then we're just buds, just shooting the breeze and talking. I wasn't worried about like, oh my God, it was just, hey, I'm just hanging out with Keith Richards, whatever. Right. And, and, and the fact that Jimmy Fallon introduced exactly. you gives you that credibility. He's, he's brokering it yeah. and, and, and leading the conversation. Hey, can you take a picture with my friend? Hey, my friend just r- worked at uh, MetLife Stadium. And Keith's like, oh, far out, man. And meanwhile, I'm sure he's thinking, listen, kid, I re- I've worked at fucking 500 <laughs> stadiums. Right. But, like, you know, and, and that's so that, that, you know, even right now, Russell Brand's coming in. I've never met Russell and big fan, obviously. Yeah. And Russell Brand is a big star. But he came in. We had a blast because you're just talking like dudes because we are all just guys. Uh And once you break through that wall of, oh, my God, like even you and I, I mean, when you first met me, I remember you were like scared. Right. And now, you know, we're friends when we see each other here and we maybe keep in touch or whatever on Twitter or whatever it is because we're just guys. Right. And once you can break through that wall of it's this famous person and it becomes either I like this person or I don't. And I think you also have to have to have some kind of respect for what you do. Sure. Like there's a reason why that person should also at least respect what I'm doing. Yeah. It's not like we're just here to hero worship. Well, and that's the thing like when I first met you, I think you're an intern or something right. and now like you got your own thing going on and now it's like you've created this whole thing on your end. That's I, re, I respect it. It's cool, and that's like, okay. that's why. As much as you don't want to, yeah. As, as much, much you know, as you I bust it. your balls. And yeah. I do that for a lot of guys that I've known through the years because I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And there has been a lot of guys that started as interns or, you know, whatever, and now they're, you know, doing their own shows. Or, or there's the guys that start with their own show that are now nowhere. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and, and you can always tell like this guy's a good guy or this guy's kind of a dick, and the mm-hmm. dicks never last. Show business is too hard to make it. Uh, and that's wrestling or music or radio or acting. You cannot be a dick. And and if you are, you, you're not going to last. You're not going to last. You have to be. I really honestly believe that deep down inside, the biggest stars in the world are always the coolest mm-hmm. because they know what it's like to make it. Like, I just recently, it's a long story that I won't get into, but just recently basically became friends with Paul Stanley. And Paul Stanley, if you would have asked me, that's been my guy for 30 years. I love Hetfield. I love Ozzy, but Paul's that's, that's that going back to when you were a kid. Then. That's my guy. Yeah. And the fact that we became friends, it, it still blows my mind a bit. But once again, he's just a dude. He's a he's a cool guy. Right. That even if he wasn't in Kiss, it wouldn't matter. I just like him. Right. And that's and that's where you can really stave a relationship with somebody. Right. Like I have to. And my mom is still searching the house. For the photo of me with you oh. <laughs> at an autograph signing, and I've got a shiny rave shirt on, uh, and you've got the big beard yeah, and everything yeah. in the thing. Early but, 2000 exactly, Jericho, yeah. yeah. There's a DJ in Tampa called Jesse Cage, and I've been doing a show, and he's been very supportive. And I just found out a while ago that same thing. He has a picture of me and him in Daytona Beach. Like, he's in the front row as this little kid, and I'm, like, hugging him, you know. And he's like, I never forgot that moment. I'm just, but you don't know that, you know right. what I mean? And it's just cool when you when you kind of... Like you say, have that mutual respect, and then you can start to uh, uh, form a relationship as just a couple dudes. And I feel like it gives me, like, when I see somebody, because now that I've been working in radio for almost 10 years, like, you start seeing people that you saw here, and now, like, this kid Pete Davidson, who's on SNL now. Like, I had him on oh, my wow. show a couple years ago, and he's just this kid, and he's just, hilarious. Yeah. Now he's on SNL, and see this kid, the ladder, yeah. Seton Smith, is on the Mulaney show, and, like, you're like, oh, wait, this like life can work. Well, yeah. Like, it gives you this optimism. Like, no, good things sure. happen to people who kind of deserve right, it. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. You know, and um, that's, that's like even, uh, you know, with Jimmy, with Jimmy Norton, the first time we met, I didn't know who he was. And he said something that insulted me, and I kind of went off the handle. We had a little bit of an argument. There was this big brouhaha, Norton versus Jericho. Right. And then it's I, a YouTube classic. Yeah. And yeah. then I Googled Norton. It's like, oh, my God, like, this guy's got his own thing. I didn't know. I just I just hadn't heard of him. Right. And then, and then I kind of 
felt a little bad because I thought he was just some schlep off the street. And then I saw him again. We filmed a show together here in New York, actually, Z-Rock, and uh, kind of mended fences. And and then I love Jimmy. Like, I really, I talk to him all the time. And if I ever need something, he's there and vice versa. And, uh, you know, that's the opposite where I went back and kind of felt like I should have done my research and not been so quick to flip out. Although I still think in my mind, I, 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 you know, what it doesn't matter why. Point is, when I went back. You you had a justification, but as much as, like, a host like you think, well, these hosts should know who I am. You should kind of know. Who I should they know are who he too. is exactly, and that was one of those things too. Where sometimes you never get too big for your own britches because you never know. You should always know what you're dealing with and who you're talking to, right? In any situation, does wrestling set you up for that? Because wrestling can be a very humbling business. Is that more humbling than other show business? I don't know, man. I mean, the thing is, it's like wrestling is, is what I started in at a very young age, at mm-hmm. 19 years old, and. Um, I think a lot of times you you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder when you're in the wrestling business because a lot of people don't take it seriously. And as you know, I mean, wrestling is is the hardest business, one of the hardest business to make it into. And I always say, if you're working at the highest level in the WWE, it's show business boot camp. Yeah. You're learning how to do everything. And there's no other performer in another uh, facet of the business that can adapt as well as as we can, as wrestling can. Not everybody, but the, the cream of the cream, mm-hmm. the creme of the creme, uh, as far as improv or going with the flow, having stuff cut, having stuff added. Uh, you know, hey, man, you got to go out there and do something for five minutes. Or, hey, you know, that five minutes that you had, you got 30 seconds. Go out there and make it good. All those things. So time and time again, you know, even today with, with Russell, and he's like, you know, I thought you were – one of the hosts of the show, I said, no, I'm, I'm just a guest. He's like, oh, you're so comfortable. I thought for sure. Yeah. It's because, once again, we've been talking, you just got to go with it, man. Well, because you're also like people who kind of discredit the fact that you're in front of 30, 40, 50, sure. 100,000 sure. people with a microphone and you're just, you and, have to and, go. And also always have to kind of explain that to people. Like wrestling, oh, that's all fake, isn't it? It's like, I had a lady ask me that yesterday. I'm like, are you seriously asking me this in 2014? <laughs> like, that's the re- like, not a joke this question. Ni- it's like, you know, since 1990 or whatever. But, um, you know, you always have to deal with it. It's like, and you have to deal every time with someone going, are you the wrestler? Uh, I, yeah, I guess. My grandfather used to watch wrestling in 19th. Like, I wonder, like, if, you know... James Hetfield, are you the musician? Right. Yes. My grandfather <laughs> used to go to the blues club and watch, you know, Chet, Chet, Chet Man Blue. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't get why you always, people always have to relate to me their entire family's history of watching wrestling when right. they find them a wrestler. And it's even further because they just don't, people don't, who are outside of wrestling altogether, who don't follow it, you know, they hear a wrestler, even people around here. I've had conversations with coworkers that are like, you know, well, you know, they talk about that wrestling stuff like it's real. I go, well, no, they don't. Like they talk about it the way, it's a, but, it's, but but they expect you. And then you come in, they're like, I didn't understand. I didn't know he would just be a real guy. And I go, well, when Brian Cranston was in here, see, there you go. You didn't. What, what, you weren't what, expecting him to know how to make math. When I was like the most hated heel in the business in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and people were like literally attacking me on the streets. It's in the book. Um, other people come up to me, and go, wow, you know, we thought you were going to be such a jerk. And I'd be like, why? Well, on TV, you're such an asshole. And, you know, uh, when Anthony Hopkins walks down the street, he's not right. wearing a straight jacket and uh, eating people's livers with a fine Chianti. You know, he's not really <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Right. He's a guy who plays a part. And it makes me laugh, too, when people go, oh, uh, you, you, you're acting now? 
It's like, dude, I've been acting for 24 years. I play the part of Chris Jericho. But I think it's almost like, I'm sure Seinfeld went through it when he was Jerry Seinfeld right. playing the character of Jerry Seinfeld on the show called Seinfeld. He's not that character. Elements of it are, but he's playing a part. You know, mm-hmm. Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Chris Jericho in the WWE. Well, you're Chris Jericho outside. Yeah, but I'm not you, you the same me, guy. Like, you know right. the guy on TV. I'm playing the part of Chris Jericho. But then it blows your fucking mind because, like, in the book, you tell the Mickey Rourke story about how you call out Mickey Rourke on TV. And as a wrestling fan, I'm going, this is great because I love when you take the character outside of the mm-hmm. show. But you know it's a character. Yeah. And Mickey Rourke didn't even understand. Like, guys when were he, entertaining. When he was up for an Oscar for playing a wrestler. Right. Yeah, you know, he was, we were supposed to wrestle a match against each other at WrestleMania. It fell through. Um, he had to pull out for other reasons, which you can read in the book. And yeah. then Vince said, go on Larry King and try and goad him into it. So I went full Jericho. Like, I don't respect you. I think you're, you know, a coward. I think you're and a piece every, of crap. Every He's, moment that he was, like, trying to be like, well, it's cool. You're like, it's not no, cool. No, it's not cool. Exactly. Well, I'm just, this is your world. You're damn right it's my world. You're <laughs> stepping in. You're insulting me. And if you if you dare to come in, I'll, I'll, I'll whip your ass. Right. And you could see the steam just like... <laughs> And he was trying to be a good guy. Bottom line is, he ended up coming to WrestleMania anyways, and he brought three bodyguards with him that were there to beat me up if I tried anything out of line. <laughs> and I had to explain to him, dude, I was just playing a part. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. No, you weren't. I was just trying to build up the the, the character and build up this match. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. No, you weren't. It took me about 10 minutes to finally get him to realize. It's like, wait a minute, you were playing a character? Yes. And he's like... I'm the one who's up for Best Actor yeah. Oscar, and you outacted me. And these three guys that he brought with him, uh, Frank Shamrock, UFC champion, freaking Israeli bounty hunter, <laughs> some like guy that was like a ninja or something. I was like, dude, you didn't have to bring three guys you to Way overestimated. Yeah, one guy would have been enough, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, that was just an example of just playing this part. You know, yeah. It's just like with Fozzie. It's like, I didn't expect you to be able to sing like that. Who would have thought a wrestler can sing that way? And it's like, it just, that makes me like, or you're a good singer for a wrestler. It's like, that's the worst compliment ever. Because right. I don't know any wrestlers that's that like, can well, sing. Everywhere I go, you know? I hear people go, you know, Sam, I used to really hate you, but now you're okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what what, what you know? does that mean? Yeah, you're, you're pretty good, uh, you know, you're a pretty good radio host for a, a weird guy with curly hair yeah. from New York. And you're like, huh? What? I... And it's like, you know, Anything that I do, if I if I didn't think it was good, I wouldn't do it. Right. You know, and, and that's, you know, you have to work twice as hard to get the respect from the outside world as a wrestler. You have to get twice as hard to get the respect as the singer of Fozzie in the world of rock and roll. But when you get people's respect, finally, you've got it for life. And that's why I have such a loyal, fanatical fan base that will follow me through all of this stuff that I do. Well, I've told my wife, like, I think that. Year, I'm now coming to this conclusion that watching wrestling for years and years and years, like, you know, all the time, I never had a down period, I'm 31 years old, uh-huh. has completely skewed the way I think about everything because I feel like I think about entertainment the way, like, when I saw you doing the thing to Mickey Rourke, I was like, perfect, it'll get people interested, you know what I mean? Like, when right. I'm on the radio, I'll start fights with people, and I'll be like, this is great, like, people are getting heated up, and then after the show... They're still mad at me, and I go, "What are you, what are you <laughs> mad about? We were just riling some people up." Well, and that you know, even when I did the Stern show once years ago, and uh, we did a battle of the bands against Howard's band, we whipped their ass because he, he had this thing where he was convinced that any celebrity band sucked. He put together his band called the Losers, mm-hmm. so they you know beat like Doug Flutie and Tina Yothers and Corey Feldman, <laughs> and so we came in there and dude, we annihilated them. 
and he knew it. And he was like, he's like, I'm never doing this again. You embarrassed me, even though I won. It's only because it's my show. You know, that was terrible. I, we were terrible. And I was like, I thought, like, dude, I could, like, I actually even said to him, I can't believe how cool you are. And he's like, oh, thanks. And I just realized, like, Stern is playing the part of right. Howard Stern. It's show business. It's show business. And I should have known better, but even I was like, oh, Howard Stern, I'm scared he's going to be an asshole. He's not. He's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. But once again, we're all playing characters and all playing a part because that's what you do. That's what people are paying to see. They want to see the larger-than-life Chris Jericho, not Chris Irvin from Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's the guy who's at home with the kids. Right. When I step outside on the street, most of the time I have to be Chris Jericho because that's what people want to see. The other thing I took from the book was that it seemed like uh, during that period where you were a super heel, when you were getting you know into fights on the street, and you were, it seemed like every month or so you had a problem with Vince McMahon, whether it was you bleeding or whether it was you getting into a fight or whether it was you going too hard on Mickey Rourke. Like it seemed like he always had a problem with you, but it was a very different vibe. Like in the beginning, last book, mm-hmm. you were talking about coming to WWE and you just felt like you not know, being, not really having respect, nothing. And now it's like. He didn't yeah. like what you were doing, but you were a golden boy. Well, you get the respect from him because you are um, making money and, and, and making his show and the angles that you're in so much better. Yeah. You know, that angle Shawn Michaels had is one of the best angles in, in WWE history. Absolutely. But then you almost create a monster because I had so much confidence. And when I say, you know, the book is called The Best in the World at what I have no idea, but the catchphrase was The Best in the World. I am the best in the world at what I do. And I believed on certain nights, not every night, but certain nights, I was the best. Nobody could fucking touch me. Nobody. In 2008 and 2009, not every night, like I said, but more nights than not, throw any name out there, I was I was better. And you create a little bit of a monster, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like, I know that my way's better, but Vince wants it this way. I don't give a shit. I'm the one who's out there. I'm the one who's doing it. I think it's this way. Now, still having respect for my boss, but also saying, I am right. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Fuck you. Fuck you. Ah. Yeah. And that's kind of how it goes. So, you you know, you hear the, the horror stories about Shawn Michaels back in the day or, you know, Austin or anybody. Well, CM he, Punk once told me in an interview that, uh, you know, before he left... He said that he was told, I think by Vince McMahon, that he was more difficult than Sean was when Sean was on drugs, which CM <laughs> Punk wore as right. a badge of honor. Well, and there you go, and, and Punk just left. And, right. and, and Punk and I were pretty tight, and I haven't heard from him since then. Did it surprise you that he left? Not surprised me he left. It surprised me that he just stopped talking to everybody. Yeah. Stopped talking to me, because we, we talked a lot about stuff beyond wrestling. Uh-huh. And that kind of surprised me more than anything. He just detached himself. And from what I understand, I'm not the only one, that he pretty much detached himself from a lot of people that thought they were his friends. But that was him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe he'll come back, maybe he won't. In 2005, I did the same. I left. I couldn't take it. Uh, and came back and was able to be way better than I ever was, you know. And um, But you do get into this mindset of knowing I know what's best, and you become quote-unquote hard to work with but it's creating results and you're creating you know magic so who's right and who's wrong all that matters is what's going on in the screen yeah and and what kind of you know an impact you're making and how much how many fans you're drawing into the show do you feel like wrestling fans are more critical than other forms of show business because it, it's been especially lately it drives yes. me fucking crazy yes that like on monday i can't go on twitter i can't go yeah. on facebook i can't go anywhere without somebody talking about how terrible the show they're watching is and i'm going like i don't understand why you would be watching you don't that. understand is it it's, it's never anything good though never well this was good but I'm, well that match was okay but geez it's like everyone's a critic now with social media and yeah. if you're gonna go on social media you gotta take the good with the bad yes i like going on reading 
how best in the world at what I have no idea is the greatest book I've ever read. And then there's other people go, fuck, another book from Jericho? This sucks. Right. Or, you know, Jericho's match with Randy Orton was the best match on the show. Or it was slow and plodding. And it's like, what are you talking about? Right. All I can do. I like that first tweet. Right. All yeah. I can do is just judge for myself. Like mm-hmm. like the last match I had in the WWE against Randy Orton. I knew when that match was done that we fucking put on a great match. Four-star match, five-star match, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. And I watched the show and I knew, okay, Sheamus and uh, uh, who else? Uh, and Cesaro had another great match. Ours was better. Right. Better psychology, better for, for, for wrestling fans. And I, that's me. And there's other nights where I said, well, my match, like, we loved your match. Eh, I thought it was okay. Right. Or that match was the shit. So it wasn't that bad. That match was great. It was so-so. All I can judge is how I feel about it. And then everything else falls into place. But there are a lot of critics yeah. and people in, in the wrestling business, the fans of the wrestling business. It's the same in music, too, though. Loyal fans are loyal fans, and that's great, and it's also a real pain in the ass. Yeah. Do you want to shake wrestling fans sometimes because it seems sometimes. like they don't understand? Like, give it some yeah. time to breathe. Like, everybody's—I was having an argument with uh, with Riker from Busted Open the other day about how Bray Wyatt's getting buried. And I said, Bray Wyatt's not even on TV, and he's got four vignettes every show. He's not— Yeah, you know, it's like when, when Sandow is getting buried. Uh, he was on TV every week doing something where you're kind of looking forward to what he's going to do. Right. And I even told that to Sando himself. I'm like, dude, you're not getting buried. I mean, you are, you, you're in a holding pattern, but instead of just working against random people and losing, like Kofi, Kofi Kingston, for mm-hmm. example, you have something. That, and, and now Sandow has found this spot. That's what I mean. You know, he's one of the most over guys see, on the if, show if doing you, the mid If you're good, you'll always find a way. Yeah. Always. And, um, you know, you do want to shake some fans. And, like, even for me, like, I come back to the business, A, because I love it, and B, because... I feel that my fans deserve it. It might not be, it might be once a year, it might be once every 18 months, but I'll come back. I still get people that say, oh, he's only coming back for three months. What an asshole. You know, or what the hell is he doing? Or when I come back, you lose every night, you're a jobber. Or when I win, oh, you're coming back just to bury guys. <laughs> right. You can't win. It's like, no. what the fuck do you want from me? No. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's just a small majority. But it really pisses me off. Like people go, "Oh, you come back and lose every night." This last run, I lost four matches was it. out of thirty-five that I had when I came back. Four, right? And you lose every night. Yes, I lost a couple pay-per-views. Okay, right. But I won every match that I had on TV except for two. And besides, it's so wrestling. what are you seeing? Like, is it is was it a good match? Was it entertaining? I, that's what I mean. Like, and, was and there it, a great cage match on Raw? Well, sure. And I mean, you, yeah, exactly. And you know? that, and that to me was like, oh yeah, Jericho jumped off the top rope and hurt his knee. Serves him right, old man. Listen, motherfucker, it's, I didn't hurt my knee. Yeah. It's called working it because I jumped off the top of the cage. But wrestling fans don't even get wrestling. They don't get it. And then also, too, you'll get the thing that you're 43. Oh, he's too old. He's, he's losing his step. I know that I haven't. I know that I'm still as good as I was two years ago or three years ago. But because there's an age attached to it, right. then people are saying, oh, he's getting old. He's old. He's old. He's old. That's not even the case. It's like I would know the day, the day, yeah. Sam, the day I have a match where I go, wow, that felt, I felt old. Or I felt slow, or I felt sluggish, or I fucked that up. I just can't do it anymore. That drop kick hit the chest instead of the top of the head. I will quit forever. Until that day happens, I'm Chris fucking Jericho, and I'll come back as much as I want, whenever I want, whether you like it or not. And you're not even fat Chris Jericho anymore. <laughs> fat Jericho. You know, Google, you're in, Google it. You're in shape. <laughs> well, listen. Everybody go pick up the book, uh, Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. You do, and you don't. You're, you're friends with The Miz now, right? Always, yeah. Because you did mention in the book that you noticed he was stealing your suit gimmick. Yeah, I did. That was <laughs> true. Did. That was true. I didn't say it in a bad way. I mean, it's an imitation is in serious form of flattery. That right. was a little bit over the top. But, right, but you, you know, understand. you're talking about the guy that stole Shawn Michaels' exact spots when I was a kid. So I <laughs> so get it. So it's all you understand. Yeah. Uh, well, everybody go pick up the book. And I love that you're doing 
multiple autobiographies. You might take shit for it. I don't know. But well, because- I take shit for it, I think, uh, the, on the outskirt. But when you read them, all the books are, are very good. And if and Chelsea a- Handler can have eight books, right. then I can have three. And they're the stories people want to know. Like, if I was a WWE wrestler slash rock star... I could probably pump a book out every two or three years. Well, and and the thing is too, there's so many stories that I that I didn't put in there because right. I cut I, I cut the deadline off at, at Royal Rumble 2013. That's a surprise. So it's a trilogy. This is the third in the trilogy. If you read the first two, you know this is Return of the Jedi. You know? and, and and this actually it harkens back to the first book because my favorite story by far in the first book. You know how I said the Hetfield thing was adorable mm. in this book. The Christopher Lloyd story is by far <laughs> when he could write. You said, uh, I, I said, hey, Christopher Lloyd, hey, 88.8 gigawatts. And he said, uh, first of all, do you know how many people come up and say that to me every day? Second of all, it's 1.21 gigawatts, you idiot. Then they went and hung out the rest of the night with my best friend as I sat in the, <laughs> in the hotel wondering where they went. So great. Well, listen, everybody go pick up the book. Thanks for hanging out again. Hey, man, Chris. thanks. Great job, Sam. And now, back to Sam Roberts. Whoa, Howard, if you're not careful, people are going to think this is much more professional than it is. Thank you to Chris Jericho for being guest number two on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Uh, We were stuck in a tiny little studio at SiriusXM, but hey, you got the audio, right? It sounded good. Video that interview will go up at YouTube.com slash NotSam, of course. You can tweet me and Instagram me and Facebook me and do all of that at NotSam. All those things, it's combined. And NotSam.com is the place where you can find all the information you need for everything I do online, everything I'm doing at SiriusXM with Sam Roberts Show, uh, and everything that's going on with this podcast, the RSS feed, the iTunes link, the Stitcher link, all of that stuff, and big things still to come with this podcast. Now... I told you it wasn't just that I had Chris Jericho to talk to. Big week in wrestling. And with that, we start this week's wrestling state. What did I call it? The State of the Union of Wrestling? I don't know. Howard Finkel, why don't you tell me? It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. That's it. State of Wrestling. And that's what this is. What we do every week here on the podcast is uh, we talk about the state of wrestling. And we don't do it like once every year or two years or however often Obama does it. We do it every single week because the state of wrestling is ever-changing. If you want something covered here on the state of wrestling one week, make sure you tweet in to at NotSam. And uh, I'll get to it if I deem it worthy already on the first podcast that came out last week. And by the way, iTunes didn't have it up until like the weekend. So you had a few days if you're an iTunes subscriber to get the first episode. If you're a Stitcher subscriber, it just went up like yesterday or something. So I appreciate the fact that it's already made, uh, the podcast that is, has already made as much of an impact as it appears to have made. Uh, I got a ton, a ton of great feedback from people. Uh, but I wanted to include some of the tweets uh, that, that stuck out to me. Um, there was uh, no code underscore X1A. He said, not Sam, listen to your wrestling PC today, uh, podcast today. And it made me think of how many tag team matches there was at Starcade 86. Some grammar issues there, no code, but we'll look past them. Yeah, there were a lot of tag teams. Now, I'm a WWF baby. I was raised in, in Westchester, New York. So Starcade 86, I went back and watched it, but that's not a marker of my childhood. I was SummerSlams and WrestleManias and Survivor Series all day long. But, they, I mean, exactly. 
in that era, there was a lot of tag teams. And uh, after last week's conversation, I feel like it's pointed in that direction. We saw it on Raw, uh, obviously on SmackDown, and we saw the return of uh, Los Matadors. Los Matadors are back as a tag team. So that makes a third tag team. And if you were watching Raw, it would appear that Miz and Mizdow are going to be a, a, a tag team themselves. So I think that's a very good move. I thought Raw was a, an incredible show this week. I thought it was really, really strong um, from, uh, 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 I don't even know where to begin. Of course, the ending. I thought the Randy Orton twist was fantastic. I think a Randy Orton face turn is something people have been waiting for for a long time. It seems a little like... Because I've heard that Randy Orton may be going to film a movie. It seems a little like every time a wrestler is going to go film a movie, uh, Seth Rollins needs to give them a curb stomp onto something. It was the exact same way that Dean Ambrose left. But I thought finally seeing Randy Orton act independently is something fans have been waiting for for a long time. And it's very exciting. I, I would like it even more if you were sticking around for a while. I don't want to go any amount of time at this point without Randy Orton. I thought... Uh, especially the way the crowd got behind him when he was when he was when he attacked Seth Rollins when he RKO'd him. Vine has never been so good for a wrestler as it was for Randy Orton. I'm telling you, a week two weeks ago, Randy Orton was the biggest thing on Vine, and now he's the top babyface in the company. It's an incredible thing what social media has done, and more power to it. Okay, who doesn't want to see RKO's out of nowhere all day? I do. That's why I don't want him to go. Hopefully, he'll be around for a while. I don't know. Uh, I don't always know what I'm talking about, but I've, that's what I've heard. Uh, also, Ryback super over. It's so great to see uh, the crowd responding as strongly as they are to Ryback. Speaking of Ryback, he uh, took out Bo Dallas last week on Raw. I guess one of the big news stories this week was that Bo Dallas is out with an ankle injury. Bo Dallas is going to be out for six to eight weeks or four to six weeks. I don't know, several weeks. Uh, I think in this case, it's a good thing. Every now and then, injuries can be a very good thing. I think Bo Dallas, I love Bo Dallas. I love the character. I think his uh, level of commitment to the character is outstanding. I love the elongated kneel in the ring, forehead to the fist. I love everything about Bo Dallas. I think it works a hundred times over, uh, but I think now more than ever, Bo Dallas is ready for a refresher. I think the same thing happened with Bray Wyatt, I th- and, and, and this has nothing to do with them being a familial relation, but strong characters. Bray Wyatt, a strong character, he took a couple of losses, his storyline got a little convoluted, and so he went off TV for a little bit. He gave us all a chance to breathe. We got a refresher from Bray Wyatt. And then when he came back, it was so much more welcome. Now that Bray is back into the mix of things, it's excellent. And I'm hoping that the same thing can happen to Bo Dallas. The Bo disappears for a little while, heals up that ankle, comes back, strong ankle, strong heart, strong will, uh, and is a little more similar to the Bo Dallas that we saw when he first started popping up on TV with this gimmick. Uh, Not as much, you know, with Ryback flattening him out. Uh, But I think that the injury, if you're going to have to get injured, I think now is a good time for Bo Dallas to be injured. Um, The topic that's on everybody's mind, 
And this tweet I got uh, first, I'll say, from Reverend underscore Willie. He said, at not Sam, can you talk about the network numbers and what you think the WWE can do to boost them next week during the State of Wrestling? Well, this is next week. This is the State of Wrestling, and I would be more than happy to talk about that. When that question was asked, it was even before WWE had announced the numbers for the network, which unfortunately were low. Lower than, I guess, anticipated. I'm not going to say low. Lower than anticipated. It was also before whatever happened over in the UK happened. So here's what's going on with the network. The WWE announces this network. I mean, at this point, we're approaching a year ago. Right, They announced that they're doing an over-the-top network. It's going to be streaming. It's going to be live. It's going to be on-demand. It's going to be all of the above, the most incredible thing you've ever seen. It's going to have every major pay-per-view featured on it. And any wrestling fan in the United States can get it all for one low price. I believe by now we know that's $9.99. They said they were going to roll out international as time went on, and they have rolled out some international. But look, people give – there's a lot of flack around the international thing, and that's where I'll start. The Canadian version of the WWE Network is some weird on-demand meets regular live cable network meets something. It's only on a certain number of providers. It's, you can't have access to it. You can't get the online version of it, blah, blah, blah. The Canadian version is messed up. They supposed to – this week they were supposed to uh, announce England – The United Kingdom had the WWE Network the day of, I think 30 minutes or something like that, before the network was supposed to be launched in the United Kingdom, a tweet went out that said it's delayed until further notice, which sucks for everybody who's listening to this in the UK because that was one of those things that they hyped up for literally for months. I mean, we heard the November 3rd date the first time. It had to have been at least two months ago. That the WWE Network was finally coming to the UK. Now, United Kingdom, England, just a huge market for WWE. So many amazing wrestling fans are out there that uh, and, and that have access. I mean, they don't have the live shows that we do. Uh, they don't have all the TV that we do. There's limited access in comparison to what goes on in the United States of America. In the United States of America... You can catch a WWE show almost any night of the week. You know what I mean? There's a live show. If you live in a major city in America, WWE is coming to your town at least four times a year. Somewhere around you. Right? You're going to have a pay-per-view there at least once every two years. Right? You're going to have – and there's an indie show that's running around you. Most weekends, especially in the fall and winter, if you're in a major city, you can find an independent wrestling show. That's not the case. In the UK. People in the UK are a lot more hungry for the product. And that's where that on-demand element would come into play. The people in the UK would love to get the opportunity to sit back and watch everything they can possibly watch. However, it's not an option right now. And I think wrestling fans specifically are losing sight of the fact that launching an international streaming video-on-demand TV network service that's never really been done before, okay? Let's not lose sight on the fact that the WWE network is fairly unprecedented. 
for a content manufacturer, because that's what WWE is. They're a company that creates content. Okay, they're not they're not a TV network. They're everything that they have, they created. They're not buying from elsewhere. They're not funding everything is just them. They're creating the network and now they also want to create the network. They're creating everything that's on the network and now they also want to create the network and they want to make it something that you can get anywhere in the world. Creating an international network like that is extremely complicated and extremely difficult. People go to college for years just to do that one thing, okay? The one thing. And, and, and WWE is coupling this along with everything else that they did. I think the drawback from the network, I'm not even going to say problem, because I don't think there is so much a problem with WWE Network right now. I think the problem WWE and the WWE Network is having is in the perception because you're not talking about a WWE of 1992 or even 1996 or 1997. You're talking about now a publicly traded company. You're talking about a company that the wide world, okay, the investment world, the way it's going to get covered in newspapers, they're not covering the WWE in terms of content. And I think people are getting confused by that a lot. I mean, Raw this week was incredible. It was great. The Randy Orton storyline, the appearance of Vince McMahon. Now, I'm sure that a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was negative publicity around the WWE because of the network. And they decided to start busting out the big guns. And I don't have a problem with that. But... Any negativity that is shifted toward WWE right now and the way people are talking about it and the way uh, financiers, the way uh, uh, investors are looking at this company has nothing to do with what you see on Monday nights. It has nothing to do with whether or not Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose had a clean finish in the Hell in a Cell. It's all perception. I mean, these, these, uh, the, the, the ideas of whether the WWE is doing well or not, is that concept, that decision, is being made by people who don't watch the product. They sit there and they look purely at numbers. Okay, so that's all it is. It has nothing to do with what's available on the network. It has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, whether or not it needs buffer time when it's streaming. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, whether or not Ryback is a babyface or a heel. All it has to do is with numbers. And I think the only problem the WWE is having with the network is the same problem with uh, the launch date, is the same problem with subscriber numbers, and that is a problem of over-promising and under-delivering. I think they have something like 750,000 subscribers to this network. That's a hell of a lot of subscribers. That's being taken out of context. 750,000 people subscribe to this network when it hasn't even really been launched globally properly You're talking about mainly in America. Just about 750,000 subscribers is a lot of subscribers. The problem is, it's not a lot of subscribers if investors were told, if projections were made, that we think within the first year we'll have a million subscribers. We think by WrestleMania we'll have a million subscribers. Well, 
you shot for the moon. And I'm all for shooting for the moon. But this isn't a football team saying, we're going to go out there and win the Super Bowl. Because you don't have to convince shareholders that you're going to win the Super Bowl, okay? That's not what this is. You can, in your own boardroom, say our goal is a million subscribers within six months. It's a lofty goal. But if you're going to go out and be public, which you have to be if you're a publicly traded company, the way to handle it, I would think, is to go out under promise and over deliver. It's like dealing with your boss, right? If your boss handles, hands you a bunch of reports and says, I need these all done on my desk by tomorrow morning. And you go, no problem. I have them done by this evening. And then you don't get them done by this evening. Guess what? You look like a schmuck. But, but, if he hands you all the reports and you go, oh, man, this is going to take all night, but I'm going to try really hard to get them to you at least by lunchtime tomorrow. And then you get them to him by morning when he wanted them anyway. You look like a rock star. It's the exact same scenario. Except you look like a schmuck on one hand and you look like a rock star on the other hand. And that's because you under-promised and you over-delivered. Now, in terms of what you can... And that's what I think the WWE should be doing. Not with wrestling fans, but publicly. When they're talking to investors, when they're talking to shareholders. Just relax with your hopes and your dreams and your thoughts and all this stuff. Just chill out a little bit. Just think to yourself, just say, just say, okay, you know what? We have really high expectations for this, but conservatively, we'd be happy if we had half a million subscribers on this network. And if you tell people when you launch this thing, we want, by the first year, half a million subscribers in the United States on this thing, then people go, okay, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. And then you walk up and you're like, guess what? We have 670,000. They go, whoa, this is a big deal. But if you say we want 750,000 and you've got 670, it doesn't look like such a big deal anymore, does it? No. It's all about setting your expectations realistically. And I think that's all WWE needs to do. Because the numbers themselves I don't think are unimpressive. I think 750,000 people subscribe to a network is a pretty big deal. I think they've worked hard at the network. I think there's a ton of original programming. I think for the amount of time it's been out, the amount of archived on-demand programming is pretty incredible. I mean, I can turn on the network whenever I want and find something always. And that's a big deal for me, who's the wrestling fan who has seen it all. Now, in terms of what WWE can do if they want to get their numbers up, that is a thing. Because I'm sure WWE does want to get their numbers up as far as this network goes, and, I, and they're on the right track. I wish they weren't so reactionary as they were last night, but they're on the right track. Last night after Raw, or, or, or whatever night you're listening to this, Monday night after Raw, they had a United States title match. You could only watch it on the network, and they had a title change, a big one. They had the undefeated Russian Rusev win the United States Championship. And you could only see that if you were subscribed to the network. I think that that is what they should have been doing from the get-go. Making programming that is must-see stuff. Okay, every pay-per-view, now more than ever, needs to be, we got to get the guys around, we got to watch the pay-per-view. 
Well, let's get the network. It's only nine ninety nine. All right, let's do that. Because what you want, you got to get people subscribed to the network. Because once you're subscribed, you're not going to cancel it. Some people will, sure. But most people won't because you need wrestling fans that aren't watching the current product. You need wrestling fans that like watched it in high school or college but have moved on since then. Attract them into watching a pay-per-view. One pay-per-view. That's all you need to sell them on. Sell them on Survivor Series. Say, there's stuff going on here that you just you, you can't miss. All right, I'm going to watch Survivor Series. $9.99, no big deal. You pay your $9.99, then you start watching the Stone Cold documentaries. Then you start watching the old episodes of Raw that you watched when you were in college, and you're right back into the thing. I think the pay-per-views need to be can't-miss pay-per-views, and I think that shows like Main Event and Superstars need to be as big, if not bigger, than the shows that are on regular TV. I mean, it, it, it needs to feel like if you didn't watch the show that's exclusive to the network, you really missed something. And that's the way you felt if you missed that U.S. title match. You really missed something. I mean, we should be using, or the WWE should be using, we, <laughs> the WWE should be using uh, the pre-show before Raw to build storylines, create new storylines on the pre-show. Make it so when you're watching Raw, they have to flash back to something that happened on the pre-show. Ah, uh, the pre-show before we went live uh, on the air here on USA was crazy. Only on the WWE Network. Look at what Ryback did on the pre-show. He tore apart this. He beat this guy. Something needs to happen on those pre-shows that make it so, you know what? I have to watch the pre-show because right now I have the network and I don't necessarily feel like I have to watch the pre-show. I think it's a great show, but I don't necessarily feel like I have to watch it. And I think that's the thing. The network is something that people are paying $9.99 to watch. There's free wrestling already on TV. I can watch wrestling on USA when I watch Raw. I can watch it SmackDown on Sci-Fi. I can watch Impact on Spike TV. So there is free wrestling on TV. So it's not like I have to subscribe to the network to see wrestling. But if I'm a wrestling fan, if I'm following along these storylines, give me something on the network that is must-see. And they're on the exact right track when they put the United States title on Rusev. Because, and there would be a time where you would say, why wouldn't they save that for a pay-per-view, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The pay-per-views are on the network too. So, I mean, uh, this pay-per-view concept is just a concept. It's just kind of hearkening back to the old days, and maybe it's something for international and the people in the United States who still haven't purchased the network. But there's no doubt that they're just as important. Any match now on the network is as important as any pay-per-view because all it is there to do is to say, well, I have to subscribe to this network because I have to be able to see this stuff. Um Survivor Series is going to be free on the WWE Network. I think that means that it should be one of the strongest pay-per-views of the year. Because that's the one you're selling people on. Okay, well, the network's free. I can literally get this pay-per-view for free. All I have to do is is put in my email address and create a password. Okay, well, watch that pay-per-view. And then tell me you don't want to watch the next one. You know what I mean? You got to sit there. And it's not – you got to do more – then hook people to the next night. It's got to be more than, oh, I can't wait to see what happens on Raw. It's got to be, not only am I compelled to see what happens next week on Raw, but I got to see another three-hour show like that 
I got to watch the next page. I got to see TLC. It's going to be incredible. $9.99? All right, I'll pay for it. That's the way to do it, is to give people programming that is not sort of stuff like, oh, it's so cool to have this. Oh, I'm so glad I have this. It's, I can't miss this. I mean, Netflix exploded. Exploded when their own content that was good started coming up. Netflix didn't debut a bunch of TV shows that were hit or miss. Netflix, out of the barrel, came flying out with Orange is the New Black, with House of Cards, with these shows that you read anywhere. Anybody who knows anything about television is writing about these shows. You have to see them. They're incredible TV. They're winning awards now, right? That's the model WWE, uh, I would hope, is looking at. Put programming exclusively on the network that is can't-miss programming. It's the same way satellite radio works. Okay, why do you subscribe to Sirius XM? Because it's the only place you can get Opie's show. It's the only place you can get Howard Stern's show. It's the only place where Sam Roberts is going to talk about something besides wrestling. I got to hear what these people have to say. It's can't-miss stuff. So let me pay a couple bucks, and I'll turn it on in my car when I'm driving around. When you're making people, especially in 2014, pay for content. Number one, content, you know, young people are used to getting content for free. Number two, it's wrestling. It's always been free on TV. So how are you going to hook me into buying this thing? Well, I'm going to make it so the storylines are so compelling. And the payoffs that are happening exclusively on that network are so interesting that you have to be a part of it. you got to get the network, and I think that's the way to do it. I mean, the on-demand catalog is crucial, but they're doing a great job with that. Just, I would say keep building the on-demand catalog. Maybe add some of the WWE studio movies. I, I don't know. But, I mean, they're moving in a great direction, WWE is. The network is incredible. I've watched it probably 75% of the days that I've been a subscriber, I've had that network on for one reason or another. It's, uh, the amount of content on that thing is unbelievable. Nine ninety nine is nothing for it. So it's not a matter of lowering subscription rates. It's not a matter of there not being enough stuff on it. And now it's everywhere. I mean, it's on, it's on my smart TV. It's on PlayStation. It's on everywhere. So I don't even think... The technology is that much of an issue. I think it's just a matter of the numbers are good to me. If you ignore the expectations set by WWE, 750,000 subscribers is a pretty good number. If you want more, you need to create compelling stuff you can only get on the network. And then shows like Countdown and stuff like that, they work. They're good. I mean, the Countdown shows are are great, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on them. The, the Monday Night War docs are, are awesome to watch. Um, all that stuff is great. The, the rivalry show is good. I mean, WWE excels at making documentaries. But I think that they need uh, active storylines that we watch on Raw and on SmackDown. Big parts of these storylines need to unfold exclusively on the network. When I watch Raw... I'd like to feel like if I don't have the network, I'm missing out on something. Like, oh, like, well, let's give a recap so everybody's up to speed, but wouldn't it have been cool if you had seen that? You could have been the first to know. Wouldn't that have been cool? 
And you go, yeah, it wouldn't have been. It would have been cool. How could I become one of the first to see it? Well, that's simple, Sam. All you need to do is subscribe to the WWE Network, and it only costs $9.99. Well, that's the podcast for the week. I hope everybody enjoyed Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, episode number two. Please, if there's anything you want me to discuss here on uh, the State of Wrestling, tweet me at NotSam. I know I said I was going to talk about uh, the WWE Champion not being on TV. I'm going to save that. I'm sure it'll come up again as uh, Survivor Series. We will obviously not have a WWE title defense. I don't have a problem with that. At some point, I will talk about that. I thought this week the news of the WWE Network was probably too big to skip over. Um, So, much love to everybody. Thank you again. Please subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Watch the WWE Network. Remember, this is pro wrestling. It's supposed to be fun. So don't go on the internet and complain about it. That was my favorite part. I mean, I was watching Raw on Monday, and I was watching Randy Orton take that curb stomp, the first one on the table that busted his head open, and I was thinking, are you happy now? There's blood on TV, okay? Are we happy? There's blood on a wrestling show. If I can go never, if I, if I never hear another wrestling fan say, well, they can't do this without blood, it'll be too soon. Blood is fine, but blood by itself does not create a compelling story. Um, That story on Raw would have been equally as compelling if Randy Orton bled or not. Period. End of discussion. So, yeah, hit me up on Twitter if there's anything you want me to talk about here on the State of Wrestling. We'll be back with another great guest, another State of Wrestling, everything that you've come to expect next week here on Sam Roberts wrestling podcast thanks for listening follow at not sam on twitter instagram facebook and youtube and subscribe for free to listen every week to sam roberts wrestling podcast nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.